0: Welcome to the very first edition of the Activist Awakenings podcast. I'm Samantha White. We seem to be living under a barrage of bad news headlines and it's all too easy to see the myriad ways in which the world is going to hell in a handcart and crawl back under the duvet feeling powerless. But there are brilliant grassroots initiatives going on in neighbourhoods around the country By talking to local activists and campaigners about what they've been able to achieve, I hope to show you that individuals just like you and me can make a difference. In each episode, an activist will share their experience, tell us about the impact they've had, and give us their tips and ideas to inspire and empower us to get out there and tackle the issues we're passionate about. The Community Energy Project featured in this first podcast is one I've been following with interest since its inception. Today I'm in Broccoli to talk to Camilla Behrens, who is an environmental activist and writer, as well as co-founder and chair of South East London Community Energy. Welcome, Camilla. Hi, Sam. Camilla is going to tell us where it all began and what it's taken to get here. Hmm,
1: my goodness. It seems so long ago now. I've been an environmental activist for almost 25 years now, and uh, there are stages in my life where I've got quite tired of saying no. To things and uh, I was really looking around for um, a way of saying yes and to build the kind of future that um, I and I think a lot of other people really wanted to see um, and it was just an amazing coincidence. Um, I also am a volunteer coordinator for Greenpeace, I run the, the local group in Greenwich and Lewisham And uh, a woman rang me up and said, "Oh, can I come and talk to your group about this project that I want to do locally? Uh, And it's all about creating local solar energy. And I thought, wow, that sounds quite exciting. Um, So she came along and um, she just blew me away. She was really um, very well informed and very passionate. And it then transpired that she was also an activist who had been living pretty much in the same world as me. Um, And I got her language very quickly. Uh, So I decided to go along to one of the first meetings that she held down in Deptford. And the more I heard, the more I thought, this is absolutely what I've been looking for. It's a gift. Um, And it just made so much sense because she was saying that, you know, we've really got to start bringing our communities together because our government just isn't producing uh, the model uh, that we need for a sustainable future. I started to go to the meetings that were to, to bring the cooperative together and then it just rollercoasted. It, within a year we started a, our first share offer, uh, we'd raised over £200,000 to um, install solar panels on um, four local primary schools and four years later we've installed solar arrays on well, a total of seven local primary schools. And we um, have rolled out a whole number of projects to help reduce fuel poverty in uh, Greenwich and Lewisham. So uh, it's been really exciting, really hard, but I feel that uh, I'm part of a a fantastic team and I'd love to see every community in the country have a similar organisation doing similar things. Fantastic. And can you tell us something about the other founders? Mm. Well, it was brilliant because um, none of us had ever met before. We all live within, you know, a four-mile radius of each other. Um, And they're all from very different backgrounds. So uh, it was almost a bit of um, um, synchronicity that we all just got pulled together. I mean, one of them saw a flyer that had been posted up on a bus stop and came along and... uh, He's our sort of financial guru. He works in the renewable energy sector. There's been a lot younger uh, people, a lot older people, all sorts of careers, um, all sorts of life experiences. So it's, um, yeah, a really interesting and dynamic group of people.
0: Great. So what was the challenge that you as a group saw, Um, you talked a a little bit about the gap in provision there, can you tell us a bit more about the challenge that you saw that you
1: thought that CELSE could really make a contribution? Yeah, we've all uh, had very strong uh, concerns about climate change and wanted to physically do something to address the issue at community level. Um, so, we had heard about a group in Brixton that had managed to raise money for these solar panels. They actually put them on local housing estates. And because there was or is this um, subsidy from the government called a feed in tariff, it meant that you basically get paid a little bit of money every time you produce renewable energy. So, you could get a little bit of income. And then you can start playing around with things. You know, you, you can start. Uh, Thinking about paying your investors back uh, a, a a small you know percentage every year, uh, and we thought this is a great idea, you know, because everybody wins. Then it's brilliant. You know, you you um, you get the solar panels up, so the local is benefiting. Um, in our case, we we chose primary schools, so the primary schools are getting reduced energy bills. We're getting uh, you know renewable energy being generated locally. The people who put money into our pot, they get four percent interest every year, so they get a thank you. And our model is such that we can actually pay them back their initial investment after 20 years. So, you know, it's it's win-win. It's a no-brainer. Why wouldn't you get involved in it? And um, you know, we were also aware that there were a lot of other community groups forming around the country. It was like a sort of quiet revolution. And you know, within the first four or five years of this um, initiative that was essentially launched by the coalition government, the Lib Dems' influence in the coalition government, um, you know, the country was really picking up on it, and we saw it as a way of clawing back our control over energy from the big six and these, you know. Uh, We were basically being held hostage in terms of energy prices with fossil fuels. That was, you know, ramping up our um, climate change dangers, and uh, this little this model that had come about just seemed like a fantastic solution in terms of empowering communities, so that they not only owned the energy that they were producing, but they could govern it. And uh, in in our case, and and a lot of the so two hundred odd. Uh, community energy groups that were mushrooming around the country um, we decided to plow back um, any surplus into our community um, and particularly those most vulnerable uh, to fuel poverty from you know this sort of cycle of rising fuel prices rising food prices universal credit all these you know pincer movements uh, by the government and and you know there we were we could we could generate clean energy, and we could help the people that have been really squashed by the, the current energy system. So it was a really nice virtuous circle. And what
0: were the first steps that you took, or what were the key relationships that you needed?
1: Well, luckily, Dr Giovanna Speciali, who was the, the, the woman who really kind of was the catalyst for CELSI, had great training in facilitation. So uh, she was very good at bringing the group, the group together, asking us to share how we wanted to be and that was the most important thing what kind of organization were we going to be where was our core motive was it going to be profit was it going to be community was it going to be a national takeover of the energy system what so that was the first um, point of reference to actually decide our identity and then our rules and Um, I found that process quite frustrating and I wanted to kind of push on with with getting the the solar energy um, side of it um, going. But actually it was very important that we did that because we needed to be very clear what our parameters were. And that's been so useful ever since because when we've had a, uh, you know, a, a dialogue about, a particular issue we've always been able to refer back to our rules what we agreed and that sort of resolved any kind of crunch point and allowed us to move forward and I think you know um, I've talked to some people who've tried to do set up a similar community energy project and they've fallen down at that first hurdle because they just couldn't agree you know on, on, on a nuanced part of being a, a cooperative. So, and that's given us a really strong roots and a strong sense of um, identity that's really helped us through some very difficult times in terms of overcoming inertia and, and, and system systemic lack of understanding of what we're trying to do and, and so sort of coming up against s- all sorts of hurdles that uh, you you just do when you're pioneering uh, you know these projects. Um, people just don't understand what you do, so they kind of leave your your request or whatever on the on the on the out tray and just saying it can't be bothered you know and and try and bury you so yes I think that was it getting our identity understanding um, what our ground rules were was very important
0: you mentioned the fuel poverty alleviation work there can you tell us why it's so important to you as a group and so urgent And what you do to alleviate it in practical terms.
1: Um, So our vision is to try and build bridges to a more sustainable future, a future that's fairer, greener and more relaxed because we really think that uh, that life's too stressful and it's stressing us out, it's stressing the environment out, we need to think about things in a different way. Uh, And we also realise that you can't leave people behind when you're moving towards sustainability and it's very clear that uh, there's this massive social divide and that people at the bottom are getting further and further left behind. Fuel poverty is is one of those central issues that um, can just make everything worse. If you're living in a cold, damp property, um, your, your mental health goes, your physical health goes, your children can't concentrate to do their homework. Um, if you've got elderly people living with you, their health declines. Uh, it's all proven. Uh, So we really have to tackle that as a core issue if we're actually going to um, take uh, the the present situation, adapt it and turn it into a sustainable future. And can
0: you tell us what you do um, in terms of practical help with those types of groups that you've just Mm. been talking about?
1: Yes, so we decided right from the word go that we would um, be a cooperative, would be not for profit and that any surplus we generated um, from the, the subsidies that the government gives for anyone who generates renewable energy, um, we'd plough back into our community. We weren't quite sure at the beginning how we'd do that, but then we had a series of consultations um, around Lewisham, and we just invited local people to come and chat to us and tell us what, what they felt were the, the very important issues and how they could benefit from money that we, the surplus we were generating. And it was very clear from those consultations that fuel poverty was absolutely the number one uh, concern on the local agenda. And one of our directors, Alex Hartley, came up with a very good idea, which was to set up um, pop up energy cafes. So we would um, go to community centres or um, sometimes a town hall or the local housing agency or the the citizens advice and um, set up a little table with a cup of tea a slice of cake make it nice and informal but um, ask people to come along with their energy bills and we could um, show them how to be more savvy with switching to uh, cheaper energy uh, providers Um, if they're in fuel debt if they were behind with their bills we could Uh, ring up the the energy companies on their behalf and negotiate um, repayment rates or even if they're in particularly difficult situations for their debts to be written off. Uh, We could also refer them to other agencies if they were in debt for other reasons. Um, We could uh, get reductions on their water bills. There are a lot, you know, once you know the system, there are lots of different ways that you can help people. Uh, but it's also about empowering people, changing their mindset uh, to be more savvy about um, using energy in the home. For example, if, if you were looking for a new cooker, we were telling people that in quite a lot of cases, uh, electricity is actually three times as much as gas if you look at your energy bills. So go for um, a gas hob rather than an electric hob. Little things like that, turning down your washing machine. You know, a lot of people still putting standard washes on at sort of 60, 70 degrees. If you turn it down to 30, you know, you can make a quite a significant saving over the year. So there, there are little things like that that um, people just don't really think about in their day-to-day life that can really make a significant difference. They add up and, and you know, you can make some really good savings. Sometimes we could save, save people, you know, five, £600 pounds a year by compounding all that, that, that advice and uh, energy switching and stuff. So it really does make a big difference. I can imagine
0: it does with uh, the confidence of someone advising you if you don't know the different providers and the terrorists and whatever, but if you've got someone talking th- through and explaining it to you. But also the measures that you've talked about to reduce costs are all very easy to implement. They don't take any equipment, they don't take any knowledge apart from taking on board the tips that you've given there so I can see that it's very accessible the help that you're
1: providing to people. Mm. Well I think there are two things there the the first thing is trust Um, and from the start we were very clear that we wanted to build our reputation through community trust so it wasn't about getting glossy advertisements or some you know, clever PR company to come in and um, do, do a bit of spin for us. We we're, were trying to get um, grassroots workings, show that we could actually provide real value to the community. And you do that by reaching out to the community, talking to them, show, showing them the value that we can provide, and then hopefully people will talk to their neighbours and friends and family. And you, you, gener- you, you build up trust that way. Um, And the other thing to bear in mind is that although switching energy providers is quite simple if you know how to use computers, but quite often we'd be talking to more elderly people who know the basics but um, aren't confident enough to use price comparison sites, don't really know their way around and are actually also being door, doorstepped and phoned by energy providers who are sort of bamboozling them into you know switching to them because they say they're the only ones that are offering a good deal. So it was just a question of sitting back with them. We, we had laptops with, with us at the energy cafes so we could actually show them how it all works and do the switch with them so that they were confident that we were doing the right thing um, and you know, they could they could come back again and, and ask us questions um, if there are any issues with the energy provider that they'd switch to, so there was a continuum there, and um, you know we're always at the end of the phone if people do have issues with their energy providers. So uh, although the energy cafes will pop up, we're we're static. We're we're here for the long term. Our our solar projects are fixed for twenty years, so we're not going anywhere. So we've talked about where the solar panels are on
0: the schools and we've talked about um, how you use some of the revenue generated from the feed-in tariff to support uh, fuel poverty alleviation work in the local community. Let's take a step back a little bit. How did you go about the fundraising to get those solar panels on the first set of schools?
1: Mm. Well it was quite hard. <laughs> um, we did so many things. I mean at the end of the day I think it was a question of reaching out to friends and families. It was um, our extended network of friends that we had about 12 directors so we were all busy doing that. Quite a few of us were very good with social media so we were we were putting um, messaging out to our extended social uh, media network, we went to quite a lot of um, conferences and uh, discussion groups to tell people about what we were doing. There was a sort of informal investor community out there that was already aware of this particular model. So we we did reach out to some organisations that were trying to channel that energy and uh, and and marry the two together um so i think we've probably got some new investors in that way and and it's amazing how you know word gets out and and you know when you when you start to talk about six digit numbers it's just extraordinary you know to think that you can pull together that money so quickly you could be spending 10 years you know, doing little fundraisers and 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 shaking cans and and tins in the street but because of this model where you're actually offering people you know, 4% return on their interest every year, so it's much better than leaving it in the bank, which at the time they were offering nothing. There was absolutely no interest at all on a current account, and probably 1% on a savings account. Even ISAs were, what, under 2%, I think, in a lot of cases. So people were casting around, and it, it just made so much sense that you're not only benefiting yourself but you're actually pouring something back into the community to make the community stronger and to address climate change I mean it was a, a lovely model it worked really well so you had a, a, a number of factors working with you there in terms
0: of you've mentioned your extended networks so they have trust in you then you've got investors who know the model and they know that it's worked in other places and it's not pie in the sky so you've got their trust as well like you say it is in physically in the local community it's a way that people can be involved and contribute to the local community it's not going to take their time it's not going to take their energy um, <laughs> and that was what attracted me just being connected being part of where you live so you mentioned the 250,000 target there what was the lowest level of investment how what was the entry level point that people could get involved
1: Mm. well that was a big issue Um, it it was 250 pounds and we did have a lot of discussions about that because we were aware that when we were consulting with people locally a lot of them were very interested um, but they didn't have any money to invest in something like that Um, And then there's also the administrative side of it, you know, if you have people putting in 50 pence here and there, you'd be administering forever and we were all doing it on a voluntary basis. Um, So we had to consider quite a lot of different factors and we decided that um, there'd be a a base level of £250 uh, and a top level of £20,000. And, you know, it, it was a difficult decision. For, for various practicalities, we decided that that would be the, the base level. So we had investor members, people who put money in, and non-investor members. So people who were just interested in, in keeping uh, abreast of what we were doing, helping to volunteer or whatever. That seems to sort of work all right.
0: But you found a way of getting everyone involved, whether they could contribute financially yeah. or whether they could contribute their time and their skills. And so that's, that's it. a, yeah, it's a really nice balance. And again, another way of being connected with the community. But in practical terms, that first wave enabled how many schools to get Four. solar panels? Four, yeah. And then since then you've, you've built on that and you did a second wave with, is it three more yeah. schools involved?
1: Yeah. Um, and then uh, it became more um, difficult because the Cameron government that came in after the coalition very quickly decided that they weren't going to continue supporting renewable energies with subsidies. They were actually not just going to reduce the subsidies, but they're actually going to phase them out completely. Which was just astonishing when we knew how much money of you know, public money was being invested in really nasty energy supplies like nuclear and fracking. It was just absolutely gobsmacking. So it was slightly more difficult. The dynamics had changed. Some of the benefits uh, that we've been able to offer our initial shareholders, like so sort of tax relief on their investment and stuff, had gone. But nevertheless, we we uh, managed to raise uh, another so one hundred twenty thousand. And we had a a very nice network of the three schools that were joined together, and they were very supportive. So uh, we managed to squeak in before the feed-in tariffs were reduced too much and and roll out in in another sort of nice project in in Greenwich. So that was a relief, really, because, again, we just didn't know whether investors were going to be interested uh, once this really bad news had been announced. Can you talk a little bit about the work that you did with the
0: schools in terms of educating the children and the, what the energy meant for the schools?
1: Mm. Well, um, on both share offers we had um, celebratory events at um, the, some of the schools that were involved. Uh, so we um, brought all the, the, the school children together and we had the Mayor of Greenwich at one and the Mayor of Lewisham at another. Um, and various MPs and uh, assembly members coming along. we explained what we were doing and we had um, a little sort of solar panel monitor showing them how much energy was actually being generated, how it was connected to their roof uh, and, and what it was doing in terms of their future and you know reducing carbon emissions and hopefully um, helping us to, to push back climate change So yes we, we were very involved.
0: That brings me on to another question anybody listening who's thinking of starting up an initiative will want to know who were your key partners who were the the need to know people for you guys oh
1: God, there, there's really there was no one to start off with you know we were <laughs> looking at ourselves saying, like, how on earth are we going to do this we felt very isolated very alone and then we suddenly had an amazing piece of luck we met a woman called Claire Pritchard, who runs the Greenwich Cooperative Development Agency, and she's been working in the local community for three three and more decades, and she really got what we were trying to do, and got very energized about it, and she opened up doors. She, you know, she recommended us. She um, gave us space in her own offices so that we could. Uh, really start pushing forward and then we met another brilliant person in the form of David Dixon who was a head of the local primary school Mulgrave in Woolwich and again he was uh, introducing a whole range of really exciting environmental projects um, for the children there and when he met us he just loved the idea of putting solar on his school and, and obviously saving the school money Um, and uh, you know once he'd given us the go-ahead he was busy talking to other heads other schools in the area uh, recommending us as well so those two people were absolutely phenomenal and really in hindsight made our our dreams into a reality. There were some local councillors who sided with us and and championed us with the local authorities gradually didn't happen (laughs) at first but you know, I think it's the nature of the game when you're starting something completely different and you haven't been tried and tested, no one's particularly interested in doing anything with you and that, that's the case wherever you go. So it was uh, really through just grim determination that we managed to, uh, you know, get this, this, this idea rolling and just striking it lucky and finding the odd person to champion us. One local MP, one Assembly member, Len Duval, was, was great at, um, you know, helping us um, expand and and improve our profile with the the London Assembly. Our second share offer was launched in the central chamber at City Hall. So, um, yeah, gradually, you know, we we began to convince people that we weren't completely bonkers um, and and, and the thing grew. And how did you do that convincing? Was it by showing
0: them what you'd have achieved already or was it by
1: grit and persistence as you say? Mm, I think it was, it was a bit of both <laughs> um, and the fact that you know we, we weren't an isolated example there were over 200 community groups around the country doing very similar things and there was this brilliant group Community Energy England uh, that was trying to sort of bring all these different projects together on a website and to show they did a lot of research after two or three years to show the benefits of, of these community initiatives. So there, there was a little bit of evidence you know, to, to support what we were doing, but locally we were the only people. So it was convincing local people that we had the credibility, the knowledge, um, the determination um, to actually produce the goods. So finding
0: your way into a sort of a national network that people could sort of understand and comprehend as there's more structure to this, there's evidence behind it that was really helpful to you
1: Absolutely, yeah, definitely We were looking at um, what was Brixton Energy then as now Repowering London um, as our role model so those, those kind of dark hours when we were struggling to overcome uh, local inertia and um, indifference we knew they, they'd done it and it was possible and I think that was very helpful in those early days what are the things that Celsius has achieved
0: or that you've seen happen through your work that keep you all going?
1: Once we'd actually got the, the first panels up on the first schools, you know, we, we knew we could do it. I would never have dreamt of being able to do that, to raise that amount of money and to roll out huge, these are big arrays, it's not just like domestic panels where you have five or six panels on one roof, there are, there are hundreds of panels on these roofs and it's it's sort of a miracle, really, that we've done it at all. There are 20,000 fuel poverty households in Greenwich and Lewisham alone. We know they're out there. We know that they need our help. We've already reached out to 2,000 uh, individuals and households through our, our energy cafes, our uh, workshops that we run in community centres and for frontline workers. Um, and we've sort of already helped uh, clients make over £60,000 in in savings um, and we've reduced their individual um, CO2 emissions by over a tonne collectively. You know, for me as an environmentalist, the fact that our arrays have saved about 80 tonnes of CO2 since we started from being emitted into the atmosphere I mean, that's, as a little community group, you know, Schusten group, 12 of us volunteers, that's quite impressive in terms of us, locally, trying to do our bit. So, you know, we're doing good in terms of energy advice. Um, We've saved about 80 tonnes of CO2 uh, because of our solar panels on, on local primary schools. The schools themselves have saved about £13,000 uh, in reduced electricity costs um, and our panels are generating enough energy, uh, the equivalent of you know powering 75 homes. So they're small steps but they are already making a difference so we've just got to keep on carrying on. So, obviously, the origins of the project
0: were the solar panels on the roofs of schools and the fuel poverty alleviation work. But you've been very inventive in keeping the business model moving forward and you've come up with all sorts of different projects
1: that are aligned with that. Can you tell us a bit more about those? That's absolutely right. It, you know, it's been a very difficult time uh, with the subsidies being um, removed. So, we've had to really think on our feet. And it's lucky uh, for us, really, now we have made very strong connections with the local councils and with uh, a kind of broader support base so yes we we have been moving in different directions uh, and there are two uh, very valuable projects recently. Um, One is the Solar Buyers Club which um, essentially brings local people together uh, who are interested in putting solar on their their roofs and by organising collectively through us Uh, We can get cheaper solar panels for them and a cheaper installation. So we actually take the pain away from the whole process. It makes it much more affordable and and less of a brain ache for them. So that has actually been very popular and it's an ongoing process. So if anybody listening to this uh, wants to get involved in that, please contact us particularly if they live in Lewisham and Greenwich. More recently, we've teamed up with uh, Lewisham Council and another co-op called Retrofit Work, which as it says on the tin, um, they are a cooperative that uh, goes out and and, and improves the energy efficiency of houses for people. We're working with the council to identify people that are basically living um, in uh, rented properties or their own properties but are on a low income and may have vulnerable people in their household uh, to identify Um, grants and and uh, either completely cost-free or or low-cost measures that they can uh, put into the home to to basically make it more warmer and more affordable Um, so again if if anybody listening falls into that category please do get in touch with us because uh, we can certainly help you.
0: Tell us about the solar roller is that a fundraising or an awareness raising initiative?
1: It's a trailer with solar panels on it Uh, so we can take it off to events and set it up and power your sound system or your kitchen or whatever you need for your community um, activity. So the initial idea was essentially just to reduce um, the the pollutants at community events because diesel generators are really filthy things and they're noisy uh, and just not 21st century. So uh, we thought, well, if we had a solar-powered system... That would be really great for our communities, it would help children, because they're not breathing in really nasty fumes. Uh, And then it's developed a bit more into an information area as well. So we can go with the panels and set up a little information tent, and we've got uh, information boards, and we've got um, a doll's house, which has got all sorts of energy-saving tips that you press buttons and it'll tell you how much you've saved uh we've got a, a jenga game so depending of the pu- the bricks you pull out um you are saving more or you're kind of toppling over because you've got too much co2 being emitted and we can also do energy advice sessions so it really depends what uh people want from their event but it's it's sort of a portable celsius in action you know it's it's us getting out there and engaging again with the community and, Telling them how, how solar panels work, uh, what Chelsea's doing in terms of our, our solar projects, uh, and also to tell them about the, the fuel poverty work we do. So you've come up with some really creative and eye-catching
0: ways to get your message across and, and get out to m- interact with the local communities. So what's the biggest lesson you've learnt along the way?
1: Hold the vision. <laughs> and be ballsy. You know, you just got to go out there and ask people. And be quite rigorous, I think. Always look for best practice. Don't cut corners or have that social conscience. Know that you're doing things the right way, honest the honest way, and, and build that trust. You know, if you can build that trust from the beginning and maintain it, then people start to come to you. We're constantly learning, we're constantly looking for uh, professional guidance. Um, pro bono legal advice has been absolutely invaluable, i.e. You know, free advice from solicitors and things. Uh, we're actually looking for some solicitors to join our board of directors at the moment because it's very useful to have legal advice you know, as we're making these decisions in the long term.
0: So what would you say to any listeners who are potential activists and sitting there considering getting involved in something like this locally themselves?
1: To actually just do it. You know, uh, so many people sit around in their front rooms talking about things. But, you know, we haven't got time to do that anymore. We've actually got to get together and realise all those ambitions, realise the visions of the kind of future we want to see. Because at the moment our vision is being blurred and narrowed. We just need to to change the mechanisms round to make it easier for all these initiatives to really blossom and you know that that is you know, what you've got spare time we've got 10 years to basically save the human race from self-extinction what else have you got that's better to do you know tell me next time you end up going down the pub with your mates really is that the most valuable, you know useful <laughs> use of your time when this imperative is looming over us you know, larger every day. So I just say, realize it, you know, make that idea happen. And you'll find that, you know, once you start talking about it, you'll fire up other people. And before you know it, you've got a gang of you who are all really getting excited and energized by it. And then, you know, then it all starts. And I, I if I sound negative about some of the experiences that we've been through, you know, th- as twice as many brilliant experiences have come out of Celsi and I, I've been blown away by um, not only what we've ch- achieved but how kind people have been to us, how brilliant all oh, the volunteers that have come in to help you know with our, our, our other projects, um, how, how wonderful they've been. Um, it's just been the most extraordinary, uh, life-changing experience and uh God I you know I wouldn't have done anything differently it's made me a stronger person it's made all of us stronger people and more determined you know we're not going to be we're not going to be killed off by inertia and vested interest you know this is just it, it it's extreme times and we've really got to grasp it and and turn the negative into a positive and start building all these bridges you know we we there's a big gulf there We need to to build lots of different types of bridges very quickly. Um, And the the more people who are out there visibly doing it, I think the, the more it's going to encourage other people to do the same thing.
0: What you said there really talks exactly to the heart of this podcast. People should, if they've got an issue that's really firing them up, get out there and try. Like you say, if you make mistakes, you'll learn and you can move on. But the worst failure is staying on the sofa talking about it.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. To me, it feels like there's this huge dam of inertia that's holding back all this energy, all this innovation, all this community spirit, and we just need to start chipping away at the base of that dam and allowing all that energy to start coming through and breaking away. It just takes one or two little tweaks, little chips, to undermine that wall, and it will come down. So... uh, I tell to people, you know, just, just get a little bit more uh, radical in the way they're approaching things. Um, direct action, non-violent direct action, is a very good way of making noise. And if you've got a very strong organisation behind it that's doing all the lobbying and presenting different solutions, alternatives for the future, that's a very nice model to work within. And, you know, it's it, it kills me that... Um, there are so few activists that are prepared to, to support uh, Greenpeace, you know, actually with their feet on the street. Um, and also, all these online campaign groups, uh, they, they get a lot of clicks and a lot of clicktivists, but they still need to get those people out on the streets as well, doing the, 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 the face-to-face campaigning. And I think that's the transition that we need to make now from our armchairs, to the street and to our communities, and actually physically engage together, physically make some noise together, physically make that change together. That's what, what needs to happen next.
0: That's a great call to action and a call to create community as well. You've mentioned about your long history of activism. Tell us about the
1: book that you've been writing. Oh, my goodness. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, so this is my other project that I've been working on for the last couple of years. So I, uh, I got very energised by Nonviolent Direct Action uh, as, a, as a tool, a campaigning tool, in the early 90s and I got involved in um, a movement that was trying to stop the government building a whole new load of um, motorways across the country. And the sort of obvious conclusion then was that uh, you know, climate change was looming. So if you build more roads, you've got more cars, more cars equals more pollution, more pollution equals more climate change. Um, and over the period of 25 years I've been involved in lots of different campaigns. Um, direct action is just something that I find very empowering. Uh, It's being able to do something in the here and now, but also addressing much bigger issues and connecting up with um, other campaigns that are doing the lobbying and the solution finding and that bridge bridge building. But I think the the value of direct action is that it does make that initial noise. It actually takes it and, and draws people's attention to it and hopefully the media's attention. Then it becomes an issue, it gets discussed and it gets pushed further up the agenda. Um, It's not the answer to everything, but uh, it's a very valuable tool, and I would say a very important part of our democratic process. Um, Unfortunately, the establishment, particularly the government and the police, don't see it that way. (laughs) The the, the debate has changed in the last 10 years. A direct action, I think, has become um, something that the police accept more, Uh, there are sort of there are more rules and regulations about how they respond to uh, direct action which is encouraging in certain situations but it's a very necessary tool Um, and one of the things I talk about in my book is that you know as a democracy we haven't grown and developed the model that we use is you know 150 years old um, and it's not fit for purpose and elective democracy doesn't uh Fit into people's expectations anymore. We all want to participate in democracy. We all want to have a say, um, and I think that's where direct action sort of fills the gap because it allows us to physically express dissent um, and put forward uh, uh, attitudes to what we'd like as a future and the kind of building bricks for that. So what I'm trying to do with the book is really talk about my personal journey. And the benefits I got from it, and also you know some of the problems I had with it. It's it's not a um, a, a, a sort of glossy story. It's it's warts and all. But to try and demystify direct action as a tool, and try and de tabloids dies um, the, the the activist movement because I think um, there's some very unfortunate stereotypes that have been cast, and they really aren't fair. There's there's some fantastic people doing some fantastic things. Um, I think people have been scared off and a little bit cynical about the types of people that get involved in direct action, and the truth is they're just you and me. They're just you and me getting angry about things, getting empowered, and finding positive ways of responding to that anger. Yes, yeah, so it's it's my journey. It's, it's me taking you through that journey, taking part in some of the mad experiences that um, I've had along the way, um, learning from those experiences and saying, actually, you know, we really need to all take part in direct action. If we really want, um, if we're sincere about getting to a point where we can push back climate change um, successfully, we, we, we really need to start um, engaging with each other and engaging with the direct action movement and building that future together. It's just so important uh, that we do that. And I'm really hopeful that it will happen. And I think, unfortunately, because of the way that our uh, voting system is is so skewed and so unfair, the Green Party doesn't have a chance. And really they should, because they're just about the only political party that has A really clear vision of what we need to do and how fast we need to change. Um, But you know, as an individual, I really do. I am heartened by the way Jeremy Corbyn has changed the Labour Party. I've now spoken to quite a lot of um, the people working with him. I'm I'm very encouraged by how progressive uh, those people are and how they're building, bringing in progressive thought, uh, and really embracing. Um, a constructive mechanism for change uh, that we can achieve very quickly so um, you know that's just me that's how I feel but I really want the book to uh, help to empower other people and to you know really see direct action as a very exciting um, and empowering method for change. Well
0: there's nothing more direct than generating your own energy in the local community so it seems that Celsius is their logical step on that
1: path when can we read the book oh my goodness when it, it, i'm nearly there i'm uh it's got eight chapters and i've done six and a half so i think hopefully next summer uh i'll be putting it together and and uh the, the first uh the first edition will be coming out so i'll keep you posted
0: brilliant maybe we can have another chat when uh, when the book comes out and I'm, uh Draw on your experience some more. And where can listeners find out more about CELSE and the work it does?
1: Well, uh, online really, uh, celsi.org.uk and it's S-E-L-C-E, that's we pronounce it Celsi. We should be uh, launching our new website quite soon, so it'll be uh, a lot easier to navigate. But out and about all the time, you can come and see us at our uh, office in the Greenwich Business park just connect with us online and we will uh, very happy to come and talk to you or or invite you over to come and see us there's so many ways that you
0: can uh, provide support so I do encourage listeners to get in touch thank you so much for your time Camilla it's been great to hear about your experience and your activism and what CELSI has achieved in the last four years in Lewisham and Greenwich thank you so much and good luck for the future
1: well thank you Sam it's a great project you're doing and lots of luck with it
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of activist awakenings if there's an activist in your area doing inspiring things i'd love to hear about them tweet me at activist one one is a numeral or email activistawaken one at outlook.com talk to you soon